Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Recording live from Jake's Sports and Spirits in the historic Rhino District of Denver, Colorado, it's the Pickaxe Podcast, presented by Denver Stiffs. Now, here is your host, Adam Mates. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Pickaxe Podcast, a brand new podcast presented by Denver Stiffs. I am your host, Adam Mates, and joining me live via Skype is Minuteman Dan on Twitter, Daniel Lewis. Dan, how you doing? Doing pretty good, Adam. Thanks for asking. Absolutely. We're actually recording, obviously, over the phone today, so we're not at Jake's Sports and Spirits. But Jake's is our sponsor, and it's a terrific bar, 3800 Walnut Street in Rhino District of Denver, Colorado. Uh, great happy hour specials every night of the week, drink specials uh, on, on every weekday. Uh, so go ahead and check it out. Excellent sports bar. They've got every sports package, hockey, basketball, baseball, football. If you ever want to go and watch sports at, at a bar, that's your bar to go to. So check it out. Jake's Sports and Spirits, 3800 Walnut Street. Well, let's jump right into it, uh, Dan, because it's, man, what an exciting night last night was. It was quite a whirlwind um, you know, I was doing the live thread and kind of managing the site and everything going on. And I felt like everything was going, going so fast just with all the crazy picks and everything that was going on. But I want to, I want to get your first impressions of the draft. What, what do you take away? If there's one thing you take away from this draft, what is it? I think that the draft was really hard to predict that a lot of things happened that people had no idea was going to be coming and that players were taken a lot higher than they were expected, and that it was really surprising. Um, I mean, the guy that the Sacramento Kings took with the 13th pick, um, Papa Giannis, like that was <laughs> out of nowhere. Um, some of the Celtics picks were a little curious to me. Um, some players that were ranked really high fell late, like Dante Davis into the second round. So I, I, I felt bad for him. I felt really bad. He was in the green room, and then they showed him on ESPN leaving the green room. Just, I mean, he went like 15 spots, I think, behind what he probably anticipated he'd go. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't get to watch the draft. Uh, I was working that evening, so I came. I started listening to the draft um, right at the end of the first round, so I got to see him get drafted. But I, I can only imagine just how, how awful that is to expect yourself to be a you know, top 20 pick and then watching guys that you think are probably not as good as you get taken right before you and you're still just sitting around waiting for your name to get called. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the big story I think for the Nuggets is Jamal Murray. Um, that he was – I mean, it's kind of reminded me a little bit of last year where Moutier fell. Early on in the draft process as I'm looking at mock drafts, Jamal Murray was a 3-4-5 guy. Uh, I think as the draft got closer, he kind of fell to more of a four, five, six guy. But I was still kind of surprised to see, su- surprised and 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 thankful to see that he fell to number seven. What are your What are your first thoughts on on him being on the Nuggets? I'm thrilled to have Jamal Murray on the Nuggets. Um, <laughs> you know, throughout this the tail end of the 2016 season for the Nuggets, I started doing draft breakdowns and watching a lot more of the college game. So I could kind of get a sense that the Nuggets weren't going to be making the playoffs. Um, and I wanted to do a lot of homework on the draft because the Nuggets had so many picks. But as I watched Jamal Murray, there, I was thinking there's no way that the Nuggets are going to be able to get him at seven. Like this guy is going to be a top five pick for sure. Right. Um, to shoot, um, to score in the paint, um, his ball handling. I mean, obviously there are some concerns about his defense, but there are so few 19-year-olds that can play NBA-level NBA defense. I think that's 
really an overstated concern. Um, so I, I didn't really spend a lot of time watching him just because I didn't want to get my hopes up for something that right. I didn't was going to happen. Yeah. It's like, why waste my time on something that just seems like a total fantasy? I'm with you on and that because I, I, I was the same way where, like, I could have spent a lot of time saying this is the guy I want, but I was just convinced he was certainly going before seven. So, and it was the same thing with Moutier last year. I think I did all of my research on, on different guys, like your Justice Winslows and stuff, just with the assumption that Moutier would go quicker. So, yeah, I'm thrilled. I'm in the same boat as you. The Nuggets said he was their number one pick after Simmons and Ingram, who were the clear number one and number two. And I kind of tended to believe, believe him on that because I think it is such a cool fit for the Nuggets. Yeah, he was really part of a group that I didn't think the Nuggets would get. But I, I felt like there was like a second tier after Simmons and Ingram um, with Dragon Bender, Buddy Heald, Chris right. Dunn, Jamal Murray. But I, I had Jamal Murray up at the top of that tier. So to have him fall to number seven is just, yeah. just a really surprising move. I got to interview Coach Malone on the phone today as I went on Mile High Sports Radio. And, uh, you know, I kind of talked about shooting off the dribble and, and catch and shoot and, and how important shooting is now. And the, the name he threw out – um, as a comparison was C.J. McCollum. Uh, what do you think of that comparison? And, and if it's accurate, I mean, that's got to be a pretty promising sign for the Nuggets, I would think. Yeah, I think C.J. McCollum is an okay comparison. Um, I like the comparison that Jalen Rose used in the in the draft last night of Michael Redd. Mm. Um, kind of a not a real blazer, not someone that's going to blow you away with their athleticism, but somebody that just knew how to get to open spots on the floor, whether that's running off of screens or dribbling, and was able to score once he got open. And Murray, if you watch his Kentucky film, um, when he was playing off ball with Tyler Ulis, he'd start on the left wing and run all the way around, cross the baseline up to the right wing, you know, and go from a full sprint to just stop on a dime, rise up and make a three-pointer. You know, it's in that kind of a play, that's that's really hard to defend, you know, because you don't know when the guy's going to stop, where's the ball going to be coming from. Right. You have to chase around so many different players. Um, and I, I think that he's really going to help open up the Nuggets offense. I don't know how many minutes he'll get right away, but I do think that his permanent production will be really great for the Nuggets. Yeah, and, and obviously his shooting is his number one skill. At least I think that's what most people are looking at. He's got a bunch of different skills, but I think the shooting is is the thing that jumps off the page. How do you compare him, um, you know, amongst, say, your average lottery projected shooter? I mean, is he, a, is he an elite shooter? Is he a very good one? Is he an overrated shooter? What would you say about his shooting as a 19-year-old? As a I think he's ahead of the curve. I mean, he shot... Uh, above 40% on three-pointers this last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Mike, I know Michael Malone keeps bringing this up, but there's only one other freshman player in college history that's made more three-pointers in their first season than Jamal Murray, and that was Steph Curry. Right. Um, so he's he's very productive and very efficient from behind the three-point line. And uh, I think, you know, he's been doing this for a couple of years. I, I first watched... Murray played two years ago in the Nike Hoop Summit um, with Emmanuel Moody. That was with Jokic as well? Was Jokic in that one? Yeah, he was in that game. Uh, the world team lost that that game. Um, Jalil Okafor had a pretty good game that, hmm. that day in the scrimmage. But even back then, um, Murray was – he went two of three from behind the arc in that game, and that was two years ago. So, you know, he's – Two years ago, he was already showing that he could score against, you know, the, his peers, the guys that were going to go on and be top five picks in the NBA draft. And since then, he's only gotten stronger and faster and, you know, got his his stroke a little bit more compact and be able to get the ball out of his hands quicker. So I think he'll be a pretty good NBA shooter. What a, his fresh or his rookie season, um, we're going to get into a lot of just the depth at, at the backcourt and things like that, but what do you think is going to be his first productive skill? Is it going to be shooting? Is he going to get his shot off, or do you see him um, you know, using something else first and the shot coming later at the pro level? No, I think that the first thing that he'll probably be asked to do is to run off of screens and shoot open three-pointers. Um, he might 
float around in the corners or on the wings. But especially at the beginning of the season, I can see him playing a good percentage of his minutes with Jameer Nelson mm-hmm. um, because Jameer is such a veteran and experienced point guard, and he'll be able to run the offense, which is something that Murray probably won't be able to do at the beginning of the season, and he'll be able to feed Murray the ball um, as he gets open on the perimeter or comes off of screens and then let him create then. But it's with the way the NBA defenses are switching now, it's, it's going to be hard for him to transition into that like pure score that he was at Kentucky. Right. You know, he's not going to be able to be going against, you know, walk-ons for a couple minutes and, you know, at the end of the first half. So, it, it may have taken a little while to figure out, like, when when do I attack closeouts? When do I pull up and shoot? Um, things that Gary Harris, I think, kind of started learning more in the second half of the season as he gained confidence in his outside shot. I think, I think that, I think I think that that's he'll one of the, be able to of, shoot at the beginning, but then, you know, he'll, he'll eventually start being able to do more. I think that's one of Gary Harris's most underrated skills is his ability to – to cut and slip screens. I mean, he's such a fantastic guy at knowing when to cut and when to stay put. And one of the things that's so that's most difficult to guard in the NBA is guard to guard ball screens for two shooters. Um, we saw that obviously with Clay and Curry uh, with the Warriors. But what, one of the things I'm really interested in, I don't know how much they're going to play three guard lineups. I imagine they'll go to it, you know, somewhat uh, for like two or three minute stretches. But I'm really excited to see the moments where. Uh, Harris and and Jamal Murray are are screening off ball for each other because, you know, obviously if you set a pin down screen for a guy like Jamal Murray coming off for a three, that's a lot of gravity. Uh, the the guy guarding Gary Harris in that scenario would have to jump the screen to kind of keep him from getting an open catch and shoot. And Gary Harris is just so good at slipping those. He reads if the defense jumps or if they switch or what have you, and just gets to open space. So. I'm I'm really curious to see what the synergy is like with those two, uh, especially when there's a three-guard lineup. And even more to the point, and I don't know if this is in Mike Malone's wheelhouse, one of the things I really want to see next year is the ball to be in Nikola Jokic's hands a lot more. And what that does, because he's such a terrific passer and he has such a low turnover rate, one of the things that does is it allows us to play those same types of cuts and actions when there's only two guards on the court. So if Jamal Murray's at point and Gary Harris is is at uh, shooting guard, we could may, possibly play through Jokic up at the elbows or up at the top of the key and let those two guys run some off-ball action and, and, and Nikola Jokic to make the read. So that's one of the things I'm really excited to, to see. I think I actually think the trio of Moutier, Murray, and Gary Harris is a really interesting trio that provides some versatility. You you know, if you pair Jamal Murray and Gary Harris, that's a dynamic shooting backcourt. If you pair Emmanuel Moutier and Jamal Murray, that's a dynamic uh, scoring, attacking, off-the-dribble backcourt. So I think there's some cool combos there. Yeah, I think they, you know, another player that can also help for those guard-to-guard screens is with if you give Noah Gallinari the ball. Right. Because he's able to attack off the dribble so much that players are going to have to look at him you know, and then when you when those players look away from Jamal Murray or Gary Harris, Moody or not Moody, um, Gallinari will be able to find guys on those backdoor cuts when their you know when their focus gets taken away from the guy they're defending. That's a it, that's exciting. a fantastic point. I think you're right. I mean, as much as Nikola Jokic is versatile for a five, uh, Gallo is such a versatile four. We kind of forget that sometimes. And as you said, the Nuggets didn't have a ton of gravity on the perimeter last year. So it'll be interesting to see what Gallo can do if, if the paint is opened up a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's go on to, to Wancho. And first of all, Wancho Hernan Gomez, right off the bat, day one, he has maybe a top 10 Nuggets name in history. Um, you talk about guys <laughs> like Dikembe. Um, you talk about guys like Lafonso. Juancho is like one of my favorite names ever. Yeah, I don't think I've ever met anybody named Juancho before. <laughs> I love it. It's like Sancho and Juan mixed together for this perfect Juancho. I, I, I dig it. I can't wait to, uh, to get to know him. Today, the Nuggets front office has really been pushing that he's a, a Gallo comp. He's very similar to, to Danilo. Uh, what's your read on him? 
his skill set? Well, he was playing center for for Estudiantes in Spain, but he that was definitely out of position for him. Right. Uh, he's not a very good rim protector, and their team defense is pretty bad. Um, mostly because he's playing center and he can't he can't guard the rim very well. But I think that that has given him a lot of experience learning how to kind of play some help defense and just learning what it's the footwork that you need to move around the rim and alter shots. I think that he could play small forward, kind of like a Danilo Gallinari, but I would like to see him just focus more on playing as a power forward. Um, I don't know if you've seen pictures of his brother, Willie, right. who uh, was drafted by the New York Knicks, but his brother is uh, much more muscular than Wancho is. Um, okay. And if if Wancho is able to gain that kind of muscle mass, and it, like they're very similar in size and weight, and they have very similar genetics, they're brothers, you know. Um, yeah. If, if Wancho is able to add some of that muscle definition to his frame, um, obviously, you know, hopefully that doesn't take away from his ability to shoot the basketball, but he, he could have the size and the speed and the strength to, uh, rebound down low on, on the defensive glass. And then, you know, to set screens on offense and help pull that, pull those defenders out of the paint and towards the rim. And so he can pick and pop for, for three pointers or for, for long jumpers. But I think that he, I think the future of his game in the NBA is as a power forward. Does he have a back-to-the-basket game at all? Um, a little bit, but he really excels on the perimeter, um, coming off of the screens and shooting three-pointers or having his teammates pass the ball around and he'll, he'll just pull the trigger from the wing. And then if defenders come out too hard on him, he's able to, to put the ball on the floor, get into the paint, and he – from the film that I watched, he likes to seek out contact. Like he's not shying away from drawing fouls. All you know, of these he's things. He's able to get to the rim pretty well. All of these things sound a lot like Gallo because obviously drawing fouls is such a huge part of Gallo's game. Um, you know, he called in yesterday. All the all the players call in to kind of talk to the media for the first time over the phone. And mm-hmm. uh, the the thing I take away from him was just excitement. Um, obviously all these guys are excited to be drafted at the NBA. It's a dream come true. But for him, you know, by the time they call, which is usually 20, 30 minutes after they've been drafted, um, he was just, uh, glowing. I mean, everything was just excitement. Can't wait. Uh, very thankful for the Nuggets organization. Can't wait to start playing in the NBA. So I think of all the players, he was the one that was just the most enthused. I think he was also probably the most enthused with, uh, where he landed. I think he was very excited about coming to Denver, having a, a, a strong European presence on the roster um, so far. And let me ask you about that, actually, because Jamal Murray, Canadian, Juancho, Spanish, and then we got uh, second rounder P- Peter Cornell, Cor- Corniel, um, also French, right? I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't sleep and forget that. Did I? Is, is Cornell yeah, he's from France. France. Yeah, so... So the Nuggets added three of the four players they added are actually international. Um, this is I talked about it on the podcast last week. This is becoming more and more of an international Nuggets team. What do you think about that? I'm fine with it. I I think that you know the, the Nuggets are not really taking advantage of like a market discrepancy, but they have a really strong international scouting department. Right. And if they're playing to their strengths, you know, as they get their analytics department, you know, a little bit more up to speed where they can trust them a little bit more or their domestic scouting where they feel like they can kind of find an edge. But, you know, I I have no problem with them taking international players. Um, And I think I think I would be more concerned about it if they hadn't drafted Jamal Murray. But Jamal Murray played for Kentucky, which is ncaa team that gets a lot of television time so a lot of fans this isn't going to be the first time that they've seen jamal murray play but if if the nuggets had drafted an international player like dragon bender right who they've never probably even heard of let alone see on television before i think it would be a lot harder for fans to really connect and be excited about the draft pick but when they can say oh jamal murray uh, he played for kentucky you know 
we know what the Kentucky basketball program is. We know who John Calipari is. Right. So they can kind of have more of a connection and um, be more excited for that kind of a player to join the franchise. Not to mention, I could see Jamal Murray having some big scoring games next year, you know, up in the 20s and 30s, which is, you know, somewhat rare for rookies. Um, so if he has, even at the, at the end of the year, if, if it kind of slowly works his way in, maybe an injury forces him more into the rotation, I could see him putting up some big numbers. So um, I, I definitely think he's going to be somebody Nuggets fans are excited about. But let's move on to Malik, uh, Malik Beasley because we took him 19th. That was kind of the end of our, our draft. At least it was the end of our first round draft. I really thought they were going to try to trade. And, in fact, I do think they tried to trade uh, one of their picks or maybe two of their picks. One of the storylines across the NBA yesterday was that nobody could trade out of the middle. That was a very difficult thing to do. Um, Tim Conley said in his press conference that at 5 p.m., meaning 30 minutes before the draft began, they pretty much shut down talks. They knew that nobody was biting. Everything people were offering was uh, suboptimal, not something they wanted to go through. So they ended up going with three guys. And after the Malik Beasley pick, I actually got a, a text from – uh, an unnamed front office person for another organization um, who said, you guys are the, you, you guys had the best draft in the league. Um, and that Malik was part of that because he was such a steal. What are your thoughts on, on his game and uh, what kind of player is he going to be? I think that he'll be a pretty valuable player for the Nuggets. Um, again, he's another excellent three point shooter and he has a great work ethic as well. Um, he started off pretty well his freshman season at Florida State, and he had a rough stretch of games in February. It really dropped his shooting percentage down, and it just kind of seemed like he was hitting a, like a freshman slump where he'd been playing for a little while. He might have been starting to get tired, but he put, you know, he obviously put some time in at the gym and worked with the coaches to make sure that he was getting his mechanics down, and he finished the rest of the season really well and actually improved his field goal percentage in the first half of the season. Right. So he, I think that he's a player that with his athleticism, he, he projects to possibly be a little bit better of a defender than Jamal Murray. Um, he's obviously, you know, his height, he's a little bit taller than Gary Harris, which does give him advantage defending some taller two guards in the league. Right. They won't be able to just, you know, stand there and shoot over him with a hand in their face. But I think that where he, where his strengths are is uh, it complements Jamal Murray and Emmanuel Moody very well. Yeah, I'm so excited because last year, you know, Wilson Chandler being hurt was such a big thing for the Nuggets um, uh, for their shooting overall. I think had he been there, he would have provided just enough shooting for the Nuggets not to be in the bottom five. Uh, of the NBA in three-point percentage. But you add Jamal Murray and you add Malik and then you bring back Wilson Chandler, the Nuggets can really put some shooters on the court. Here's the number I'm excited about. 30, 38.7% from three-point uh, land last year as a freshman. And uh, let's see, 81% from the free-throw line. And everything I've, every, every time I talk to the analytics guys that do the draft, free-throw shooting is always a, a pretty good indicator of, of a good shooter. It's very rare for a guy to have a good three-point year and a bad free-throw year and then translate to being a good shooter in the NBA level. So the fact that he's a great shooter from everywhere, I think that's a really good sign for for his potential. Yeah, so one of the guys that writes for Nylon Calculus, his name's Andrew Johnson. A couple years ago, he put out a a three-point prediction model, Um, and I have like the, the data behind that, and I ran the numbers for this year. And Malik Beasley was in the top 10 for that, for that model. Um, and Jamal Murray was third. So, you know, the Nuggets added two of the top 10 three-point shooters in the NBA draft with uh, Murray and Beasley. So that's, you know, and Michael Malone, I think he said it on the radio, if you were on Altitude 950 today, but just talking about how their first priority going into the draft was to add shooting. And they, they definitely added that in spades. Right. And, and Wancho is another one that was rated higher than what he was picked. Kevin Pelton, who's the NBA analytics guy for ESPN.com, very well-respected guy, has his own draft model. He had Wancho as the ninth best prospect in this draft. So, 
you know, getting him at 15, that's, that's quite a haul. And then the same goes for Malik. A lot of people had him a lot higher um, as a prospect. I find it interesting that Tim Connolly, Mike Malone, and everybody else that's spoken publicly now for the Nuggets has said that Malik is a couple-year project player, meaning he probably won't play a lot next season. So um, I think that's probably accurate if you just look at the logjam now in the backcourt. But, you know, going into the season even, even after Summer League, we said the exact same thing about Nikola Jokic, that he was going to sit on the bench this year, play garbage time, and maybe maybe start getting five to ten minutes towards the end of the season. And it turns out to be that he was a 20-minute-per-game player and one of the core pieces. So I wouldn't be surprised if the same thing happened with Malik, but it looks like he's starting from a much more patient position, at least from the front office. Yeah, and Nate Duncan was talking about this on his, his podcast um, about – about Malik Beasley and Jamal Murray being, you know, two kind of shooting guards that are already on the Nuggets, but talking about how um, that may end up hurting Will Barton, a player who I really liked watching this last season and had a, a pretty set role as a six man off the bench. But um, Nate Duncan was bringing up how with his contract, it's such a great value. Um, you know, now might be the best time to move him in a trade because his value is so high but uh, you know I really like Will but I think by the end of his contract I don't know how many minutes I don't think Will Barton is going to be getting very many getting very many minutes fortunately the the thing he's making three and a half million dollars a year right now and that's probably I mean that's less than I'd have to look and see exactly how much rookies make because it's it depends on where um, you go in the draft, but he's probably going to be making less than a lot of the lottery rookies. Um, so his contract is just such a great value because he was our leading scorer a lot of times last year. I'm with you, though, in that I don't think that he's a guy that's going to make huge leaps between now and the next five years, definitely not now and the next three years when his contract is up. Um, so he definitely becomes expendable. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they play. Now, ironically, he has one of the best contracts in the NBA. Kenneth Fareed has what I think is just now becoming a market value contract. I think he was over, probably over market value last year. This next year, $13 million, um, is kind of like an average contract uh, in the NBA. So, yeah. so I wonder, that's, that would probably be the pairing I would, I would almost expect is somebody takes on Fareed at, what's an average deal and they also take on Will Barton at a great deal. And that makes that trade a lot more palatable. Yeah. Barton is definitely a great trade ship to to add with Freed. If, if you're looking to try to upgrade your power forward position, Uh, I I don't know what kind of a player you're going to be able to get back. Right. Um, And if they're going to be that much better than, than Kenneth Freed. Unfortunately, I think the nuggets are kind of just in a sit and wait and see what happens kind of approach and other teams if they're really interested they can reach out and nuggets would be open to those conversations but i don't, I don't know if they really accurately assess how much value those assets have i wouldn't i wouldn't expect anything to happen before the trade deadline I, I would be pretty surprised by it to be honest with you and part of that is guys like malik uh jamal murray aren't going to be hitting their strides almost certainly won't be hitting their strides until january um most rookies have a lot of ups and downs in the first few months. So um, to trade away those guys now and to be throwing heavy minutes at all kinds of guys that are 21 and under, I think the Nuggets would win 15 games. So there's definitely an incentive to hold on to those guys at least until the trade deadline, if not farther. But let me, let's me let move on here because this draft, as much as it was exciting because I like all three of the guys that went in the first round, there's a lot of implications uh, for taking the type of players that they took um, the first thing that jumps out is the point guard position and Jameer Nelson, DJ Augustine. I think we're pretty certain now that DJ Augustine will not be retained. He's an unrestricted free agent. I don't think the Nuggets have any interest in paying him and making the backcourt even more deep. But Jameer Nelson's an interesting question because I think he's more needed now than ever as a veteran presence uh, on this roster. What do you think? Yeah, that's Another thing that you said about the trade deadline, like, you know, the Nuggets want to be competing for the playoffs. So I, I could see them giving a lot of more minutes to their veterans in hopes that they're winning games uh, instead of playing their rookies. And Jameer Nelson is a big part of that. Um, you know, he, he gets overlooked a lot when we're talking about the point guards 
especially, uh, you know, as DJ Augustine was playing so well. But Jimmy Nelson is a, a very solid backup point guard. Um, he played well when Moody was injured. And I think that, especially just with his familiarity with the league and, you know, knowing how to run an offense and initiate plays and his familiarity with the coaching staff, that'll go a long ways because, you know, we're looking at a backcourt where so many of the rotation players are under 22 years old and Jameer's, what, like 33, I think. 30, yeah, like 32, 33 years old. So he's got 10 years on almost every other member of the backcourt. It's always funny because I always say these guys are old and then I realize they're my age. So that's all. <laughs> that's always a weird moment. But um, yeah, I think uh, one of the things I took away from last year was I think Gallo really hated playing with Moutier early on when Moutier was averaging, you know, five turnovers a game um, and would have great games and have terrible games. I think Gallo was the guy that was most visibly frustrated on the court because, you know, you get a stop, you run in transition and you should get a score or a good shot up and then Moutier would turn it over. And I think that kind of stuff just wear, wore on Gallo. And the Nuggets actually made a run when Gallo got hurt and Jameer entered the starting lineup and they played some good ball for a couple games. Not It, it didn't sustain, but I think Gallo kind of came to life. And that's why I think Jameer's going to be important. It's going to be important to give Moutier even more minutes uh, to give Gary Harris lots of minutes, Jamal Murray some minutes. But I think that to keep the veterans happy and just to keep the team from going into a tailspin, you got to have that Jameer Nelson that could come in. The Nuggets are on a three-game losing streak. Jameer's going to end up playing 25, 30 minutes tonight as opposed to 15, 20. Um, so I think that's why it's going to be so important just to keep him on board as well as Again, just like I said with the other three guys, I love the combinations you could play. Jameer's a great on-ball player, but he's a great off-ball player too. Um, so pairing him with Jamal Murray and saying, hey, Jameer, you, you're going to run the offense, but I'm here if you get into a pinch. And I think that'll be very helpful for, for both Moutier and for Jamal Murray. Yeah, I'm sure Jameer will have some of those moments where he's playing with Jamal Murray and uh, Jamal will turn the ball over. The other team will dribble down and score real quick. And then on the inbounds, Jameer's points and tells the ball to go to the other end of the floor, right. not picking the ball up this time. <laughs> right, yeah, for sure. Um, what do you think this means for Gary Harris? I know that you mentioned, you kind of alluded to this earlier, that Will Barton now becomes expendable in your eyes. For Gary, if you're Gary Harris and you're sitting at home watching, are you are you worried at all that they drafted two shooting guards? Yeah, I, I would be a little worried, um, okay. especially because the other guys are taller than I am. I don't know. That's just a an athlete thing. But I, you know, Malone has been talking about how he's been putting in a lot of work in the gym, working on trying to get stronger and improve his game. And Malone has been very public and you know, very honest about saying that Gary Harris is the starter next season. But I think that this will really it'll either really drive him and motivate him to, to be confident and to say, you know what, like I'm going to make my impact felt in this game. You know, I'm going to shoot when I get the ball and I feel like I'm open um, instead of maybe holding it, you know, a couple of seconds too long and passing it back to another guard, you know, that he's, he's either going to take that step forward or it's going to be an opportunity for Jamal Murray and Malik Beasley to, to get some more playing time if he's, if he's not able to to step up to the challenge, I think I think the Nuggets, in order for them to take the next step as a franchise, they need more production on offense from the from the shooting guard. And if Gary Harris can do that, I think the Nuggets will be thrilled. And if he can't, I think the Nuggets now have two contingency plans in right. case that doesn't work out. Gary Harris has done everything that this organization has asked of him. I mean, he's been one of the hardest workers. Uh, he made a huge leap between year one and two. I think the Nuggets are very optimistic that he'll make another leap next year. Blowhards like me and I think a lot of other media members here in Denver are concerned about his limitations or his ceiling. And I think it's unfair to Gary in a sense. I mean, we, we're you know this is what we do. We talk about these situations before they happen and we speculate. So, but but really, it's unfair because he's done everything that's been asked. He's a second year player. A lot of players make a leap in their third year. Um, so this is a big year for Gary Harris, but if I'm him, I'm definitely thinking, well, this is, uh, 
you know, the pressure's up and maybe even a little bit of a chip on, on my shoulder because I did make such a big leap and now I'm, I'm going to be tested. I asked Malone this today and this is – Malone's job just got ten times harder I think. Uh, and I feel for the guy because he already had a hard situation in turning around the locker room. But he's got to foster an environment of competitiveness and competition in practice and competition for playing minutes while not losing the locker room. And that's going to be a lot – um, a lot easier said than done, I think, because Jamal Murray is a competitive guy. I, I mean, you can tell it from everything he said so far. He's a competitive guy. He even went as far as to say that he think he's kind of alluded to the idea of he thinks he should be a starting point guard when clearly Moutier, that's Moutier's job. So I think there's going to be a lot of competition between those three guys. And then you throw in Jameer, who's going to be playing minutes. Uh, Coach Malone's going to have a very tough job balancing keeping those guys competitive with one another, but not pissing them off. What do you think? Well, I'm I'm just glad that Gary Harris didn't upload any videos of him smoking a hookah <laughs> getting traded to the Kings. Right, right. And uh, if if Emmanuel Moody is worried about Jamal Murray taking his shot, taking his spot, uh, he can come and put up shots with me at any LA Fitness in Dallas. Nice. Uh, I'm, I'm open during the game. <laughs> Nice. Um, the other takeaway, uh, one of the other takeaways I have, I don't think Gallo or Chandler are going anywhere. Uh, the Nuggets are most shallow, I think, at the small forward position. Gallo plays a little bit of four sometimes. In fact, I love it when he plays the four. Chandler, same thing. Um, but there's not a lot of depth behind them other than Jakar Sampson. So I'm guessing, and, and I don't think the Nuggets are prepared to make Jakar Sampson your, your a 25-minute-per-game guy. Uh, at small forward. So I think this was a clear sign that they're not trading Gallo and Chandler. Did you read that the same way? Yeah, I I, I don't think that Jakar Sampson is going to be able to play 25, 30 minutes and the Nuggets contend for the playoffs. And I think that this was a sign for them, to, for the Nuggets organization to say, hey, look, you know, there are a lot of rumors about us possibly trading you to another team. But, you know, we know that you like this city. You signed extensions that were, you know, really team friendly, and we're going to take care of you, and we're not we're not going to try to move on from you. And I can see Gal and Chandler really being, like, the veteran leaders for the team, and, you know, kind of like, watching these younger players improve and get up to their level where they're consistent night in and night out, and they can get back to making the playoffs and contending, you know, for the Western Conference Finals uh, for the opportunity to represent the West in the NBA Finals. Yeah. It, it, the Nuggets, another interesting situation with them, the salary cap obviously went up. I think a healthy Gallo is probably worth uh, above 15, 16, 17 million in this new, the you know, with the new price point. Chandler, oh, yeah. Chandler, probably the same thing, assuming he can be healthy for an entire season. Those guys have player options for not this next season, but the following season. And, I think it's it would be pretty obvious that they will opt out, assuming they're healthy. And so well, that means Chan- go ahead. Chandler's is in two years. Gallows is after this next season, but Uh-oh. Chandler's is two years away. Oh, see, I, I misread that one then. But okay, well, good. Well, with Gallo then, so it's one more year. So the Nuggets are playing a little bit with fire in that they could lose him at the end of the year for nothing. And I don't think this is a clear sign. I think that they don't want to trade him the way that they ran this draft. Um, so they're going to have to have a little bit of good faith there if their hope is to, to maintain him. Um, I think that's going to be another interesting balancing act for them. Um, let me ask you this one because it's kind of a fun one. A lot of youth on this roster, a lot of really talented youth. Who is the face of the future of the Nuggets? And that, that doesn't necessarily mean who's the best player, who will be the best player, but who do you think is the face of uh, last year they did the New Day Moutier video and it ended with Moutier kind of overlooking the city, clearly kind of po- tipping their hat to the fact that this is his, you know, his future. W- what do you think if they make that video this year, who do they, who's the hammer? Who do they close on? Can it just be a picture of Nikola Jokic smiling with the Serbian national team? <laughs> <laughs> with his legs crossed? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that's a really good question. Um, that's probably one that the big stiff Andrew Feinstein would probably have a better answer for, but I think that for right now, you have to stick with Emmanuel Moutier. You know, the the point guard is usually the player that gets the ball the most, um, you know, is asked to make like the biggest plays at the end of games. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that you still kind of have to, to ride with new day Moutier 
um, and for right now, but and I, I don't know <laughs> which way you would go with that. It's a tough call because you know the league in a lot of ways the league is moving towards a, a multiple guard lineup. Um, a lot of been, has I've heard a lot of talk from other media members about positionless basketball, and I think positionless basketball is much more of a defensive term for me than it is an offensive team uh, term. Offensively, I think it's true that guys are going to need to step out and pass and, and be able to make plays. Um, but defensively is where guys the, the ability to switch one through four, one through five. Um, that's where positionless basketball really really works for me. And I don't think that this does anything for that. Gary Harris struggles when he switches onto threes. I think Jamal Murray is going to struggle when he's on twos, let alone threes. Um, same thing for, for Malik. So I don't know that this – I wouldn't call this a positionless team. I would just call it a two-guard team now uh, uh, with Murray, with Jameer, with, with Moutier. I, I, w- I would say it's more of a two-point guard uh, type setup that they're moving towards. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean I think they're just kind of tweaking what a traditional two-guard is and saying like, hey, you know, we want player, we want guards that can shoot, pass – and put the ball on the floor and dribble. You know, we don't we don't want players that are just limited to to certain things. Other teams know, oh well, we just need to close out on him, and he won't be able to put the ball on the floor and get to the basket. You know, he'll have to pass the ball back out, and we've we've countered their first move. So right. I think they just want players that can bring as many tools as possible to to the team, and can make their impact felt in more than one area. I want you to assume everybody's healthy next year for the Nuggets. All, all 15 guys on the roster, all 13 active players are healthy. What Last season we were 26. The Nuggets were 26 in three-point field goal percentage. What will their, Where will they rank assuming full health, especially from Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, and Wilson Chandler? Oh. Anything above 26 will be great. I think, that, <laughs> I think that they can move up to like 15 to 18. Okay. Um, a Moutier's, modest improvement. Moutier's outside shot got a lot better as the season went on. I mean, he's he's not great. I don't, it'd be a stretch to say that he was good, but he was at least like an average three-point shooter. Um, you know, he got rid of that hitch and started stopped shooting the ball on the way down. I think Gary Harris got a lot more confident as the season went on. And that was a big thing at the beginning of the season for him. It was just that he didn't feel like he was – it looked like he wasn't confident that he could shoot from the three-point line and that he might get put on the bench if he did and missed. Um, and you're going to have Jamal Murray, who's a great shooter. I think that, I, I you know, fingers crossed that Danilo Gallinari and Wilson Chandler at full health. And then, you know, going from playing Wilson – from Jakar Sampson – or uh, Costas Papa Nicolau as a backup small forward, you know, to Wilson Chandler should improve your three point shooting there a little bit more. Right. Joel Arthur was shooting like forty percent from three, so I think that some of these players they're they're going to be able to shoot the three pointer a lot better. Um, some of the guys coming off the bench though, you know, they're still mm-hmm. going to be working on their shot, especially Jamal Murray. Um, but I think I think in two years they could possibly be like a top twelve. Nice from that, the yeah. point line, but next season, I, I think moving up like 10 spots is probably uh, a max. That's the best case scenario. Something that I can see happening. Um, let me ask you this then. I mean, it's obviously super early, but again, assuming health, what is the lineup you're most excited to see next year? Um, does it change at all now having Murray out there? Is he part of it? Oh, yeah. The lineup that I'm most excited to see is Jokic at the five. Gallinari at the four, Chandler at the three, Murray at the two, and Moody at the one. Because um, that gives you, you know, Murray would probably defend the other team's point guard in that lineup. Right. That gives you, you know, four guys that can kind of switch in between positions. Uh, you know, really, three really good defenders uh, in Moody, Chandler, and Gallinari. And then a guy that can just facilitate the ball and just hit cutters and shooters on the perimeter with Nikola Jokic. And it could also score down low in the post uh, while protecting the rim on the opposite side of the court. 
If George, I think that'll be a really fun lineup to watch. If George Carl was here, I think he would get crazy just for like one or two minute stretches every now and then and roll out Moutier, Murray, uh, Harris, Chandler, and Gallo at the five and just say, we're going to switch everything. We're going to run. We're not going to defend for more than 10 seconds um, just to try to speed up the game. And, and that, that lineup probably wouldn't work for more than a minute or two, but it would be one of those things that would be uh, – it, it would it would kind of be a home run strikeout scenario where you either go on a 10-0 run or you give up a 10-0 run. Um, yeah, or even swap Reed into one of those lineups. Right. You know, and like three-point guards, Gallinari or Chandler, and then Freed at the as that small ball five. You know, and you're just going to have to hound people on defense and hope that they miss those jumpers that they're getting and try to keep them away from the rim. But, man, if you get a steal or a defensive rebound away from the rim, like that team could take off and just go... I was uh I was on Reddit and on the Denver Stiss message board yesterday just interacting with with other Nuggets fans and one of the one of the, the topics of discussion was Kenneth Freed and I said I thought there was like a fifteen percent chance max that they would trade him I didn't think that there it was very likely I think maybe you know I don't know if they would have tried or not I really don't have a a sense of that they would never share that publicly with the media um, but I just didn't didn't get a sense that that was going to be something that happened. Um, and I still feel that way now going into free agency and before the year, I still think it's unlikely that, that he will change. Do you see any major roster, roster upheaval from between now and the opening of, of the season? No. And, you know, I've, I've been like up and down on Freed's value to the team, but I think, especially as the salary cap continues to just balloon about, you know, up towards a hundred million dollars, Freed's contract becomes a lot more affordable. Yes. And I think the team especially as we add more three-point shooters and guys that can pass like Gary Harris, Nicole Jokic, Jamal Murray, um, that Freed's ability to play above the rim and finish on lobs is going to be something that's really huge. You know, like a, not to say that they're the same player, but Tyson Chandler looks a lot better on teams with great players around him. Right. You know, where he's able to just set these solid screens 15 feet from the hoop you know, the point guard gets into space and nobody can guard him because he's able to just elevate so high. And as the Nuggets' three-point shooting improves, like that's going to create so many more opportunities for Freed to dive to the rim and dunk. And like that's that's where he thrives on offense is just finishing those lob dunks. Offensively, sticking Jokic in the corner when a center's guarding him and then having two shooters, you know, one in the other corner, one on the elbow, and then running a high pick-and-roll with Farid and Moutier – I mean, that's as exciting as it gets. We didn't have the personnel to do it last year. Um, I think if we, we put the ex- perfect combination of five guys, it might have worked for small stretches. But now there are a lot of combinations. Barton can be out there in one of the corners. Gary Harris, Murray, Wilson Chandler. So I think there's a lot of combos now. And, yeah, I think you're right. The, I, I'm really excited just to see Moutier with a more open paint. And I really hope that's the number one thing or one of the top things that Malone is thinking about now with this roster and with Wilson Chandler coming back is how can I open up the paint to give Emmanuel Moutier more one-on-one opportunities out of the pick and roll, meaning he comes off the pick and roll and he only has to deal with one rim protector um, and then either collapse the D or, or, or score. So, I hope that's high on the priority list. Um, real quick, just yes or no, do you think Wancho will come over or do you think he'll stay in Europe for a year? I think he'll stay in Europe for a year. That's the sense I got as well, especially from last night. They played it like they didn't know, but it sounded like unless some kind of big deal came through that opened up a spot, they would just leave him over there. So I think you're right on that one. Um, all righty. Well, let's look at – before we go, I want to look at uh, the draft as a whole. What other things stood out to you, uh, not just Nugget-specific, but across the board? I, I can't believe that Bond Maker went 10. That was the shock of the of, – that might be the biggest shock I've seen in a couple years of draft, uh, draft day stuff. So I, I, I had him like 28th or something, you know. Where did you have him on your mock? I don't remember. Oh, not in the – I think it was like right at the end of the first round or out yeah. of the first round. It's not not a top 10 player. But, I mean, he's got long arms. I guess that fits for the Milwaukee Bucks. But uh, also, like, I didn't understand what, what the heck the Kings were doing in the draft. Um, you could say that almost every year. Yeah, it just like – I don't know what Vadi was watching when – he was scouting Giorgio's Papagiannis, but I guess, you know, 
Body had a long and successful NBA career, so maybe he saw, sees something that I that I don't. Um, I was also just like really surprised to see um, Deontay Davis slide all the way out of the first round. Like Deontay Davis was a guy that I was thinking, you know, if if the choice was between like Jim Jalen Brown and you know Deontay Davis at seven, I would probably be okay with the Nuggets taking him there. Wow. So. I don't, I don't know if it was, like, something that happened when he was interviewing with teams and there was just a problem there. And, like, that, you know, that I have no grounds to, to question if that was the case. But Our colleague know, like, Jeff Morton like was the, at the workout the here in Denver. Like, well, hold on, real quick. Jeff Morton was at the workout for Deontay Davis here in Denver and, and, I mean, immediately texted me saying, worst interview I've ever seen in my life. So... Maybe interviews don't mean anything, but you know it's possible that the teams just look at looked at him, you know, from their interview perspective and said, "Man, this is a guy that's just difficult to communicate with." Not 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 saying that he's a good guy or a bad guy or anything like that, but you like to have a guy that's at least somewhat responsive and engaging in conversation, so you can you can know how best to coach him. So that might have been it. I don't know. Yeah, I, but like I was just like, oh man, I hope the Golden State Warriors don't draft him, you know. But <laughs> then he, you know, he slid into the second round, and Celtics traded him, I think, to uh, Memphis. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully that works out for him. I have a lot of, I had a lot of uh, faith in him, and I thought he'd be a really good player. And it was really surprising for me to see him slide out of the first round. Yeah. What it, so the Northwest Division is such an interesting one. I still think it's going to be a monster division. I think that's probably even more true. Let's start with Minnesota because they got Chris Dunn, who I think is – he's another guy that people are really, really, really high on. And I think that's a really good situation for him, a really good fit because defensive length, everything there, and he's going to have some defensive wings and a defensive center and a defensive coach in Minnesota that – I think that team becomes very intriguing. What did you think of the Chris Dunn pick, and and what did you think about them passing up on Jimmy Butler in that in the reported deal? Um, I think one of the was a mistake to not trade for Jimmy Butler. Um, I know that Zach Levine is a really exciting player and he has a lot of potential, but you know he could like blow out his knee or something and never have the same kind of career. You know, I look at like guys like. Penny Hardaway or Grant Hill, who had so much potential when they were young players and just never really reached that because of injuries. Like, you know, Jimmy Butler is a top 20 player in the league. And if you had an opportunity to trade with him, I just think it would be a mistake to, to say no over someone like Zach Levine. Um, and then taking Chris Dunn, I think they took the best player on the board. I think that he can be a really def- great defensive guard for, for Tom Thibodeau and the Timberwolves. And I'm excited to see him and Carl Anthony Towns play, um, except when they're playing against Denver. <laughs> but I, I think the biggest question is, you know, like what, what team is Ricky Rubio going to be playing for at the end of the season? Because if Dunn is as NBA ready as he looked while he was at Providence and while he was telling people in all these workouts, if he's able to come in and like run the offense well and limit his turnovers and, you know, shoot well from the floor and find his teammates and things like, I don't know how you can, keep Rubio and Dunn on the same team. It, you know, it, it's not at the same situation as Ty Lawson and Emmanuel Moody. But, I mean, if, you, if you're saying this is our new franchise point guard, the current franchise point guard and Ricky Rubio, it's just, it creates a lot of chemistry issues. And I, I think a smart team would, would try to avoid that as as much as they can and move on before before training camp starts. My read on – I actually came around on Zach Levine because I hated him for a long time and I did a deep dive study on Minnesota and I totally – watching him closer made me really like him actually. And I look at him – it's funny because I look at him like I look at guys like Augustine and um, Kyrie Irving is another guy here where we talk about having a high IQ, basketball IQ or feel for the game. And that's kind of a broad blanket term that I think – actually should be broken down into a couple different categories. For example, I think Zach Levine has an incredible feel for the game in certain situations, generally speaking, very off-ball, attacking attacking the basket situations. He has a great feel for how to uh, – he's so skinny, he kind of like 
left, right, not really a Euro step, but kind of splits the difference between two defenders and, and slides through for score. Um, he's really good at that type of read. I don't think he's a t- good, good at reading the floor as a whole, bringing the ball up court and just knowing where to initiate the offense and do this. That's almost like more of a big picture feel. Um, and some players have both. A guy like LeBron James, for example, has both. Um, but some players have one or the other, and I think he's going to be a really, really valuable player off ball. I really like him as a two guard. I don't like him at all as a point guard. So um, for me personally, and I'm in the minority here, I think, on this, I actually like, for Minnesota's purposes, I like that they passed on that trade. Um, Jimmy Butler's a heck of a player. He might even be an even better player next year. His numbers without Derrick Rose on the court are just through the roof. He's an actual much better player without Derrick Rose. Um, so, you know, I, I could be wrong on that. I'm very open to it. But my first gut instinct is I like that they were a little bit more patient, and I like the, the five-man group they have. And speaking of which, Carl Anthony Towns versus Nikola Jokic is going to happen four times a year. Now Chris Dunn versus uh, Emmanuel Moutier is going to happen four times a year. I could see a little bit of a budding rivalry there just because both teams are on similar trajectories um, and have sim- stars at similar positions. Um, that, I mean, those should be really good games. Um, I, I really like Nicole Jokic, but Carl Anthony Towns is really good. And uh, They're hopefully not the Nuggets are able to, to beat the Timberwolves there. Definitely, I, Towns is is just a special player, maybe the best player of the last 15 years. So I, I'm not trying to compare Jokic to him one for one. But yeah. they are in the same position, and they are both going to be something of an anchor of the team. So it should be interesting. Utah, another Northwest Division team, they uh, picked up George Hill in a trade and now have a great point guard to go along with all the other great talent they have there. What do you think of them going into next year? So I was down on them before – they acquired George Hill just because they didn't have a point guard. Right. Like they, they, their fans were just, they're super high on Dante Exum, but like he was, if you thought Moody was bad, his rookie year, Dante Exum was even worse than Moody was like just historically awful. His fresh, his first year. And then he's coming back off an ACL pair. Like, yeah. And I just have, I have no idea what Dante Exum is going to be, but adding George Hill is such a great fit and he allows them to to see what they have with Dante Exum and kind of bring him along a lot more slowly you know they don't have to play uh Raul Neto for 25 minutes anymore um but like they're just such they're gonna be such a great defensive team you know with Gobert and Favors and Hayward and Hood and George Hill now it's just these just incredible length for Hill yeah it's gonna be impossible to pass the ball (laughs) <laughs> like into the post against them and they're going to block so many shots. Um, they're going to be a really hard team to beat, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they're going to be competing. I mean, we, I think Portland kind of is what they are. They were the second best team in the Northwest division this year. Um, they're going to continue to be good because Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum are so great. But those other two are going to catch up really quick, I think, possibly this year. I know uh, our friend Harrison Wind over at BSN has, is already penciling them in for a top four seed in the Western Conference, which I'm not prepared to do just yet, but I don't think it's that far off. Um, and then Oklahoma City, obviously, let's we can end with this one. Very, very big trade. I don't think anybody knows for certain what the ramifications are going to be, especially because we don't know what this, you know, if Kevin Durant is coming back. But let's just assume for a moment that Kevin Durant is coming back to the Thunder. What does this trade do for them? Oh, I just, like, it just creates this terrifying perimeter defense lineup that they can throw out there. Um, Let me go over real quick because they sent Serge Ibaka, who was kind of, they had a big three when they got rid of James Harden. Ibaka became the third wheel of the big three, but he's kind of been passed up by Adams. I think Adams is the more impactful player at this point than Ibaka. Um, They sent him to Orlando and they got Victor Oladipo. Uh, They got Ilya Sova. And uh, what else was in that they got the rights to DeMontis Sabonis. Correct, and they got Sabonis. That's it. Yeah, so um, so those were the moving pieces. Yeah, so I think like um, this play, this postseason really showed that Stephen Adams can be an impactful defender, switching one through five. Um, I, you know, they're going to lose. That's an understatement. Adams can't shoot the three-pointer quite as well as Serge Ibaka did, but I don't think that they're going to need that because, you know, if they're going to be playing teams like the Warriors, they can just put Adams at the five, Durant at the four, 
and then or keep Durant at three and play Andre Robertson at the four and then have Westbrook and Oladipo just attacking other teams' guards off the dribble. You know, and that, that lineup doesn't have great perimeter scoring, but, like, they're going to be able – they're so athletic and they're so fast that, like, they're going to be able to get into the paint and get to the free throw line, and then you're going to have to bench your best players because they're going to be in foul trouble. The Thunder are the most athletic team in the NBA, and – I think they got a lot more athletic just with Oladipo, who's one of the most athletic young guys in the league. So it is kind of terrifying to think defensively of a backcourt going up against uh, Westbrook, who's just a beast, gambles for steals a lot, but he makes up for it just with raw, crazy athleticism and hustle. And then Oladipo, who's a kind of the same thing. He's just such a great, overwhelming fo- force. So that's going to be an incredible backcourt, a very impressive backcourt. I can't wait to see it. And then we saw Kevin Durant. I've you know he's a good defender in stretches. I didn't think he he was as good of a defender as he showed in the conference finals. That team I think is going to be inc- just so difficult to to stop uh, or I'm sorry to get scores on. And then of course anytime you have Durant, you're going to be able to get buckets. Yeah, I mean I think I think having Durant have that kind of defensive effort isn't something that you can have for 82 games. Right. Um, so their defense probably won't be as good during the regular season. Right. And they're they're going to be able to play Canner and Adams together at power forward and center, which obviously you know impacts your defense a little bit more as well. But it's kind of like the Cavaliers and Kevin Love with Canner, where like Ennis Canner can help you win a lot of your games during the regular season and help get you into the playoffs. And in certain matchups, he can be really good, but he may not play as much against the top teams in the league because because of his defensive limitations. And that doesn't mean that he's a bad player because without him, you don't get those 55, 60 wins, but it just means that in certain matchups, he's not able to play as much. But I think as when I found out that the Thunder made that trade, like I tweeted out that the Thunder are my pick to win the 2016, 17 NBA championship. Uh, Mm. Just because if Kevin Durant comes back, um, we know that Sam Presti is, you know, has made trades in the past, to, you know, in season to try to add what he thinks is a missing piece, you know, and if they can add another backup small forward, um, one that is head and shoulders above Kyle Singler, I think that they'll, they will be by far and away um, the best team in the Western Conference. And, you know, they, I think that'll also help because there there won't be any chemistry issues where Abaka was visibly frustrated with his role at times during the season. I think that just they're going to be so committed and so driven and just uh, just a nightmare to to play against. Well, bet on. I want you to bet the future. Who has the best outlook? Um, you know, let's say three year outlook. So two thousand. What are we in? Two thousand nineteen. What rank the the Northwest Division on the most uh, from best to worst? I think the Timberwolves are the number one team. I think so too. I think the Oklahoma City Thunder are two. I think the Utah Jazz are three. Mm. Uh, I think the Nuggets are four, and I think the Trailblazers are five. That's unfortunate. It's it's tough, but I think I think I don't think you're too far off. The the one wild card I'll say is I don't know that Durant's coming back. I actually I'm, I'm kind of fifty fifty on that right now, and I think it's crazy. I think his best bet is to do at least one more year there and see what happens. Um, but something tells me he's leaving, and even if he stays, they're going to have to do this all over again with Russell Westbrook next year. So the, while I don't. I'm not certain that either one of them are going or I'm not even confident that one of them are just the chance that one of those two goes, um, is up there. So I would go, I think Minnesota, you have to go number one. I think the nuggets and jazz are right there. The jazz are going to be much better in the short run. They're going to be better next year. Cause they're kind of a year ahead or two years ahead than the, of the yeah. nuggets. Um, they're going to run into some salary cap crunching in the next couple seasons. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and I'm just very high on Nikola Jokic and, and Emmanuel Moutier. So, uh, I think all those teams are there. Then I would put Portland at the end just because they rely so heavily on two, a dynamic backcourt, which is a phenomenal backcourt. But And they have a great front office, so I'm sure they'll make the most of it going forward. But um, I would probably put them at the end. But all five of those teams could be playoff teams for years to come. Um, it's just going to be a heck of a division, I think, going forward. I think if you look, to at the Southwest Division, 
you know, for the last decade, right. it's been Dirk and Tim Duncan, you know, the Mavericks and the Spurs making the playoffs. And that div- that division has had like five playoff contenders some seasons. In continuity, yeah. Good. And I think as Duncan and Nowitzki are, you know, at the very tail end of their careers, I think that the Northwest division is going to become that division in the Western Conference where you have four or five teams trying to compete for playoff spots and winning, you know, 50% of their games. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Dan. We'll wrap up. Um, Really good chat, really exciting draft and exciting uh, season ahead for the Nuggets. You can check out his articles on denverstiffs.com. He did five things to know about each of the Nuggets first round draft picks with some really, some really insightful stuff, some really funny stuff. You really hit a, hit a home run with that. Um, I really like that Jamal Murray is Brandon Egram's dad. That was a great, great tidbit. I didn't know about. I didn't know that. So, yeah, little known fact. Little known fact. So check that up out from the site denverstiffs.com, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Pickaxe Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.